8 it's doing, which is going to be very, very exciting. A little bit of a ticket giveaway. We'll let you know more about that a little later. Then we have the Vancouver Writers Festival, which will be uh, coming soon to you, Vancouver. So be on the lookout for that. Then you have Edward II from UBC Theater. Uh, a really cool kind of... Uh, creepy thing happening with zombie syndrome dead in the water and even more kind of um kind of like cool fun active things happening for october you have hidden which the site specific theater which is gonna be very interesting it will be happening here in ubc then there is a review on uh, a good way out which i saw with uh, christine not too long ago september the 23rd it it is at Pacific Theater, the local Vancouver theater. Very interesting. It's a new play. And um, then we have a very special interview at, with Dr. Anthony Shelton. He's the director of the Museum of Anthropology. And we're going to see what the MOA has in store for you today, as well as um, coming up, UBC. Then afterwards, to kind of just uh, finish it off, why not you know talk about a little something called this? Yes, the Vancouver International Film Festival is just around the corner, and there's a lot of stuff for us to kind of get into. So I'm just going to kind of start right now. So if you know about Angels in America, and if you don't, that's perfectly all right. Well, just to let you know, Studio 58, they are kind of premiering Angels in America. It is starting actually tomorrow, September the 29th. And it is until October the 16th. It is only part one. The millennium approaches of, you know, Angels in America. There's a part one and a part two. It's by Tony Kushner. It will be directed by Rachel Peake, whom we'll, we'll be having an interview later on um, in our show. Uh, not today, but later on. And the set design is by Drew Facey. Costume design by Amy McDougall. Lighting design by Jeff Harrison. And sound design and composition by Malcolm Dow. So just a little thing in brief for you guys. So Studio 58, which we all know is a nationally renowned professional theater training program at Langara College here in Vancouver, uh, begins their 51st season with Angels in America, Part 1, Millennial Approaches, again on stage September 29th to October uh, 16th. So if you don't know about the show, it is all about sexuality, religion, and politics, all kind of combining into this, like, crazy sort of um, experience all beginning at the uh, the beginning of the AIDS crisis in one of the most celebrated plays of the 20th century. And um, again, this is um, like 25 years ago, this play won the Pulitzer Prize for Drama, the Tony Award for Best Play, and the Drama Desk for Outstanding Play in like 1993. So in doing so, it became kind of a seminal work for the North American kind of canon. So set during the AIDS epidemic in Reagan-era New York City, which we all know was kind of a little bit like uh, AIDS doesn't exist. Let's just put it under, like, neat the carpet and, like, ugh. And with this play coming out, it was very, um, it, it, it was a taboo topic. Of course, Rent also covered that as well. But Angels in America was very kind of, I would say, a a play that, really surpassed a lot of the um, all these things that were taboo and just smushed it into one. It is about two very different but equally troubled young couples, one gay and the one uh, the other one seemingly heterosexual, whose paths they cross by chance. And utilizing everything from realism to surrealist hallucinations and a lot of funny humor to kind of like a gut-wrenching drama at some points. This play not only examines like the matters of life and death and faith, it's also a political call to arms for, you know, for AIDS and like, you know, awareness of it and, you know, fighting to find a cure for it. So again, very, very interesting play that uh, Studio 58 will be opening with. If you are interested in a free ticket, this is a ticket giveaway to Angels in America, I'm just going to ask while uh, we go into commercial break, how many years ago did Angels in America premiere? Again, the question is, how many years ago did Angels in America uh, premiere? And if you're interested in the ticket, you can give us a call at uh, 604-822-2487. Again, that's 604-822-2487. If you're really interested in... Uh, kind of, you know, seeing what the show is about. If you've never seen the show, if you have seen the show and you're like, you know what, I kind of want to see what um, 
what Studio 58 is going to do, then, you know, here's your chance. Again, the question is, how many years ago did Angels in America premiere? Anyways, you are listening to The Arts Report. We're at CATR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Musqueam territory in Vancouver. We'll be right back after these short messages. Thank you. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna do it. I'm, I'm gonna, wait, I'm gonna do on. it wrong. I'm about to spit yeah. in this mic like <laughs> freestyle elfin, you know? Okay, okay. <clears throat> wait, hold on. Does it make sense? <laughs> <laughs> no, but who cares? All right, let's go. <clears throat> Finally, we. <laughs> You're not even gonna last. All right. Victoria's Pretty Good, Not Bad Festival, Fountain, just back from France. Montreal? <laughs> what the f? It's the script! <laughs> I couldn't even. What? Victoria's pretty good, not bad festival. <laughs> Fountain okay, just what? back from France. <laughs> what are you even saying here? Oh, you're trying to say these are the things featured in this one. You should probably specify that. Because even a fing elf couldn't understand that, okay? Think you can do better than an elf? At CITR, we want to have a variety of voices on the air. Want to write scripts? Do some voice acting? Broadcast your creativity? Volunteer with the CITR production department. No experience? We can also train you in everything required. Send an email to psas at citr.ca to learn more. And don't wait to get your voice on the air. Hi, you're listening to CITR. My name is Paula, and this is Pride Facts. Five words for you. Words that have been reclaimed by the LGBTQ community. Reclaiming language is taking words that have been used to degrade a community and turning the meaning around. Taking away the negative connotation of the words can be liberating. Let's take a closer look at the word queer and its history. Originally, it was used in 16th century Scotland to mean peculiar or eccentric. Contemporary synonyms of the word are odd, unusual, strange. The word used as a term towards the LGBTQ community in the late 19th century was reclaimed in the 1990s by a New York-based group of activists named Queer Nation. Their aim was to take the word out of Violator's mouth and give it a positive connotation by self-identifying as queer. The famous slogan, we're here, we're queer, get used to it, was coined by the group. The word queer is still considered offensive by some members of the LGBTQ community. Many feel uncomfortable using a word that caused them so much harm. Why use it then? Advocates for the usage of the word queer use it as an adequate umbrella term for LGBTQ+. It is considered inclusive of all sexual orientations and non-binary, unlike the terms lesbian or gay. Create your vocabulary app by checking out the following web pages. Positivespace.ubc.ca slash terminology www.glad.org slash reference slash transgender www.autostraddle.com Check out the series More Than Words. They discuss queer words. All right. Hello there. Hello there. We have a caller. Hi there. Thank you so much for calling. Hello. Hi there. Um, Thanks for calling. Are you calling for the Angels in America tickets? Yes, I am. All right, I'm so happy to hear that. Great. Well, now that you called, you can claim your tickets. All you have to do is email us at arts, which is A-R-T-S at C-I-T-R dot C-A. Again, it's A-R-T-S at C-I-T-R dot C-A with the uh, word that we just uh, talked about. Wink. Excellent. All right. Well, I thank look forward you. to it. Well, thank you so much for listening to your uh, local radio station and listening to us, The Arts Report. Thanks. All right. And now, just so uh, you guys all know, should you all also want to have maybe tickets to other shows or anything like that, you can always um, listen to us, see if we're doing a ticket giveaway on that date. We're going to uh, be right back after a brief, short PSAs. And thank you so much for giving us a call. Want to know what's up at UBC? Read the UBC. It's only the largest student newspaper in Western Canada, and it's written and edited entirely by UBC students. The UBC is your source for on-campus news, culture, and sports. New editions come out every Monday and Thursday. 
For breaking news as well as amazing videos and blogs, check out ubc.ca. Join us for Football Fridays this week as your UBC Thunderbirds seek redemption against the surging Manitoba Bisons. 6 p.m. this Friday on CITR 101.9 FM Vancouver and online at citr.ca. It's not just rich people that own the media. But by leaving out the most important things you need to know, they can elevate awareness to a new all-time low. I own my media. 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 The Media Co-op is a grassroots national news network that's owned by its members. But if it's just left out, can you say the paper lied? A lot of things that happened didn't happen after all. If there's no one in the forest who will put it in the news, I guess the tree didn't fall. Join us today at mediacoop.ca slash join. I'm joining today. You should too. And welcome back to our uh, show. So um, one thing to note is that you can own your media. You can also own it here at the Arts Report should you be interested. The Arts Report is always looking for uh, volunteers who are interested in covering the local arts here at UBC campus or the lower mainland. And again, reviewing on air like what I'm doing right now pre-recordings, or even a written review. So if you are interested, feel free to contact us at any time on our Facebook group, The Arts Report at CATR 101.9 FM, or at our email arts at CATR.ca. So the next thing we're going to go into is the Vancouver Writers Festival. So you might be wondering, what is the Vancouver Writers Festival? I've never heard about this, but I'm very, very keenly interested. Well, it is an annual festival that takes place for six days, each October, beginning a week after Canadian Thanksgiving. This year, the festival is October 18th to the 23rd, and it is held on Granville Island in Vancouver. So it's all there on the island, so it's easy to access. And it has about six different venues in which these different event, uh, events take place. So this year, the festival has 87 87 events that include panel discussions with writers, um, publishers, and um, others, performances, you have interviews, you have readings, you have even musical events, and they feature one or several writers whose books have been published in English. That, and also, this is the 29th year of the festival, which began in 1988, to be honest with you. So the events feature fiction, nonfiction, poetry, spoken word, uh, musical accompaniments, performance, and more. The writers attend by invitation from the festival's artistic director, Hal Wake. And there are usually about 100 international and Canadian writers who are featured. So this six-day festival attracts more than 16,000 people. That's 16,000 people. And because these events like, vary, you can also bring your children should you want them to, you know, kind of like get into... A, um, an edutainment, educational slash entertainment sort of uh, thing. And the festival features more than 30 events specifically aimed at school-age students, like I was mentioning before, from kindergarten to grade 12, which is held during the first days of the festival. So the school programs, it's called uh, Spreading the Word, is one of the largest children's literary events in Canada. So the Vancouver Writers' Fest began as kind of an idea of the founding artistic director, Alma Lee, who has been awarded an honorary doctorate degree from Simon Fraser University and has made a, uh, a member of the Order of Canada for her work. So the Writers Fest depends on funding by a combination of public, sen uh, public se sector, ticket sales, advertising, blah, blah, blah. But one thing to let you know, these tickets actually do sell quite fast because there is such a lot of stuff for people to do. And it's also kind of... Um, it's also very geared on what you want to see because there is such variety. These tickets actually go pretty fast. So if you are interested, I would actually recommend searching it out right now because outside of the week in October, the Writers' Fest also presents a twice-monthly reading series called Insight at the VPL between January and May. So the Writers' Fest also often hosts events with writers at other times of the year should you not be able to uh, kind of get in. But I, I really strongly suggest that you take a look. You can go to writersfest.bc.ca and take a look at the festival at a glance. 
one thing that's very interesting to me is some of the titles of some of the events, which can be, um, depending on what you're interested in, be very interesting. One of them is uh, I, I'm kind of interested in seeing is called uh, City Dwellers, First Nations in the Urban Experience. It's going to be uh, led by Lisa uh, Charlie Boy. This is on Tuesday, October the 18th. So y you start off on the 17th, which is the Monday. They have something called Between the Pages, an evening with the Scotiabank Giller Prize finalist. I hope it's Giller. I don't know if it's Giller or Giller, but um, there's that. That's at the Vancouver Playhouse. So a lot of the, these things will be in Granville Island, really accessible should you not want to go like super far for the different events. So that's one thing. It's again all the way until the uh, 23rd this Sunday. So that is the um, Vancouver's Writers Festival, should you be interested. And after, after all, you know, literature is always a good thing to do, should you want to see it. Another thing that you might want to see, should you kind of go like, you know what, Granville Island's still a little too far for me, a UBC student who lives on campus. Is there anything that's kind of here on campus? Yes, there is. Um, one thing that you might want to be kind of like on the lookout for is Edward II, A Monarch Destroyed by Desire. The production is Edward II by Christopher Marlowe. Uh, people think it's Shakespeare, but no, Edward II, Christopher Marlowe. It is going to be uh, premiering tomorrow, September the 29th. It will be uh, running until October the 15th at 7.30. This is at the TELUS Studio Theatre at the Chan Center for Performing Arts. The tickets range from 11.50 uh, to 24.50, depending on, I guess, where you're seated. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> but uh, UBC Theatre and Film will launch its 2016-17 uh, se uh, season with Edward II by Christopher Marlowe at the Chan Center's TELUS Studio uh, Theatres. It'll be directed by a guest artist, Mary Vingo, it, and Edward II is actually one of the earliest Elizabethan, Elizabethan history plays. It's a story of politics, passion, and murder, and the um, play leads to a fractured England and a monarchy in violent disarray. Newly crowned, drunk on power, and blind to consequences, Edward uh, King Edward II recalls his lover, Gaveston, from exile and showers him with kingly favors, alienating both the queen and the court. Back at the Telestudio Theater after a two-year hiatus, Edward II is performed using the uh, 12 towers on three uh, levels arranged in a horseshoe shape around, uh, the, the, of the, as you know, the Telus, to offer a total sensory and surround sound theatrical experience. The play is made magical by set design advisor Robert Gardner's mirrored set. So there's going to be something that's going to be kind of, uh, it's, it's going to feel like you are part of the world. You're in it and it's all happening around you. And the lighting designer Sophie Tang's clever lighting costume and costume designer Kara uh, Lawson's 1930s inspired costumes were, were, are definitely going to have your attention. So led by Mary Vingo, nationally renowned director, artistic director, teacher, actor, and playwright, Edward II features BFA acting and BFA MFA design production students showcasing their considerable talents as they complete their final year. And what a performance to do. Edward II is going to be amazing. I'm going to be um, going to go watch it. And I hope, I really hope that you watch it too, UBC, should you want to. But if you're going, you know what, I don't want that kind of like, old school stuff, I want something fresh, I want something new, then we might have something that kind of will cater to your uh, taste. So October is coming up, as you know, uh, if you haven't noticed yet, even if, even if it was kind of like mid-September, there was a lot of stores already kind of gearing up for Halloween. You see the pumpkins kind of like, you know, cut out from like cardboard, not cardboard, cardstock. I don't know, construction paper. It's been a while. I don't do crafts. And they're stuck on the windows. You see people carving jack-o'-lanterns or getting ready to get jack-o'-lanterns. And people are talking. They're talking about what they're going to be for Halloween, who they're going to be. And one of the most popular things that people like to be for Halloween are zombies, which leads me to our next one. So the virtual stage returns to Granville Island with walking corpses and a villainous bloodsucker in the zombie syndrome dead in the water so it's the fifth annual edition of an acclaimed halloween event which is going to uh bring kind of like a fresh innovation of the Kane theater uh 
by premiering Apple's iBeacon technology. So what does that kind of entail? Let's find out. So the uh, virtual stage is going to be presenting an all-new immersive and spine-tingling theatrical adventure with the zombie syndrome, Dead in the Water, which is happening October 4th to October 31st, so Halloween, on Granville Island. So this fifth annual installment of the company's smash hit series are going to uh, challenge audiences to travel by land and travel by sea as they race to confront a monstrous hybrid of zombies and vampires. So not just a zombie, not just a vampire, a zombie vampire or a vampire zombie, depending on what you'd like to say first. So the most important thing is that this is very much immersed in audience participation. Audience participation is the key to this sort of uh, theater. So the audience's adventures are going to begin with an investigation into the mysterious disappearance of Special Forces operative uh, Frank Johnson. He was hunting down formal former government uh, geneticist Matthias Van Cleve when he fell off the radar. Van Cleve, a suspected vampiric psychopath, is believed to be responsible for a string of recent murders and a sudden disappearance, uh, sorry, the sudden appearance of zombie vampire mutants across the lower mainland has people worried. The audience must determine Johnson's whereabouts and ensure his mission to stop Van Cleve uh, and make sure that this guy is stopped at any cost. We can't have, you know, zombie vampire or vampire zombie mutants around. Sorry, it's Halloween. Gotta protect the kids. Um, so the virtual stage team is going to be uh, teaming up with the local company TerraTap Technologies to to kind of integrate a mobile content delivery system called NearTwit into the experiences. So audiences will be directed to download the free smartphone app, which will then interact via Bluetooth with location-based iBeacons embedded into each of the show's seven sites. So clues, directions, and narrative content will be pushed to audiences' smartphones throughout the production, boosting interactivity for teams of up to 18 people as they race against time in their battle against the bloodthirsty forces of darkness. So the exact starting location will be on Granville Island, and it will actually be undisclosed until the day before the mission. So you actually won't know which part of Granville Island you have to meet. The audience will be contacted by email with their top secret rendezvous point. So it's really hush-hush. And once the audience has has kind of like gathered, then they'll be assigned uh, various specialist roles before embarking on an exciting high-stakes adventure to save the human race. So the participants are if you if you are really interested in that kind of thing they're you're encouraged to wear uh walking shoes and dress for the weather and be prepared to move this is not for people who like to sit and enjoy a show this is for if you want to be part of the show if you want to be part of the action you got to get up and do it then this is the show for you so you because the audience are the star of the show they have to travel from site to site they have to gather clues from allies and face a lot of challenges and um the most interesting thing is, again, that it really depends on what you, the audience, will do. Of course, you'll have your smartphone app and you'll do whatever you want. But um, you can basically make or break your team, I guess. So, yeah, so the uh, zombie syndrome, dead in the water, it will be happening October 4th to the 31st, uh, 2016, Tuesday to Sunday. Shows every 30 minutes from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. And... Um, if you're interested in tickets, they're about $25 to $35. They have a two-for-one Tuesdays, so October 4th, 11, and 18th is $12.50. And, um, you know, this could be a really, really fun time to kind of, like, hang out with your friends or, you know, if someone's really interested in that kind of, like, interactive theater, this would be a really good uh, gift for them should they have a birthday in October. So what we're going to do is we're going to go into a few uh, more PSAs, and then we'll be uh, coming back with a very special interview so uh, please kind of uh, just uh, sit back, relax, listen to some ads, and we'll come back with some great stuff. This is the Arts Report. You're listening to CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Muscoon territory in Vancouver. The AIDS Vancouver Helpline is here to help. Open from 9 to 4, Monday to Friday, the Helpline answers questions about HIV and safer sex. Call to find medical support in your area without giving your name. Run by volunteers, the Helpline is one of the many programs from AIDS Vancouver combating the HIV epidemic in the Lower Mainland. 
while not medical professionals, our volunteers answer your questions confidentially and anonymously. The helpline number is 604-696-4666 or contact us at aidsvancouver.org. Tune in every Thursday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. for the Community Living Show. Join host Michael, Kelly, and friends every Thursday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. at CITR 101.9 FM and streaming online at CITR.ca because you've got a friend in Community Living and CITR. How do you listen to CITR? Do you stream it with your data? You could be getting it free on your phone with the already installed FM receiver chip, but major carriers have blocked access to it. If you want access to all your favorite CITR goodness on your phone, get involved. Visit freeradiomyphone.ca to see how you can get involved by contacting your carrier and signing our petition. Hi, you're listening to CITR. My name is Paula, and this is Pride Facts. I'm talking about legislative discrimination against LGBTQ plus people around the world. 73 countries criminalize same-sex activity through legislation. The terminology in the corresponding laws ranges from indecency, buggery, and immorality to against nature. Penalties can be as severe as life imprisonment. So-called propaganda and morality laws that target freedom of expression related to sexual orientation apply to 17 states. The most striking fact might be that in 10 countries around the world, homosexuality carries the death penalty. In contrast, 76 countries and 85 entities have anti-discriminatory laws that protect people of any sexual orientation. All this information is derived from a paper called State-Sponsored Homophobia 2016, a world survey of sexual orientation laws, criminalization, protection, and recognition. Welcome back to the Arts Report. You're listening to CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Musqueam territory in Vancouver. I am your host, Ashley Park, and today we have a very special uh, guest with us, uh, Dr. Anthony Shelton. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And uh, Dr. Shelton, you are the... Uh, you're, you've been the director of the Museum of Anthropology here at UBC since August 1st, 2004. Is that right? That's right. 13 years. All right. 13 years. Now we are going into uh, MOA 2016. What should we know about MOA 2016 that people should find kind of like revitalized about UBC? Yeah. Well, one of the things, one of the big changes that we've made over the last, um, well, since, 19, since 20, uh, uh, 2010 mm -hmm. is that we've really started to use all our collections and all the uh, expertise of the curators to do exhibitions about the whole world. And um, what we try to do is we try to do surprising exhibitions. We try to find a different angle in the way we approach um, exhibitions. 
we call it a museum of anthropology, but really we're very interdisciplinary. And so we bring that all to bear in to try to do something something different. So our next exhibition to, um, is going to be um, on textiles, and um, it's called Layers of Influence and Folding Cloth Across Cultures. And that's going to be opening on November the 17th of this year. And it's going to showcase some of the really huge textiles that we've got in the collection. We've got the largest collection of um, world textiles in Western Canada. Really? Yeah, yeah. But it's very seldom exhibited because of for conservation reasons. So this oh. is um, this is really yeah, kind of a, it's going to be a special show. And uh, to kind of get into, I guess, textiles, how did that kind of come up when, when curating? I know that you are the director, so you work very closely with your curators. And how did you kind of decide, you know, I want, I, I, if someone says, I want to do this, like, how, how do you go about advising it? How do you go about helping to uh, help prepare the MOA for such an exhibit? Yeah. Well, in this case, we um, we know that a lot of people wanted to see the textile collection. A lot of people come in small groups, and we take textiles out of storage to um, to show them. Um, and uh, we've heard um, many people really kind of say that they would really when when are we going to have another textile collection? Um, so that was a big um, that was a that was a big reason for organising uh, this show. Um, what we normally do is um, we invite people to come up with ideas for exhibitions, and then we have a small committee. Um, we go through all those um, ideas that people send us, and um, we basically evaluate them in terms of originality, um, in terms of um, we like to weave in and out kind of anthropology with a fine art, mm -hmm. with decorative art, with historical exhibitions. And so we try to balance that um, over the year, um, and as I say, I mean, the other criteria basically is originality. Mm -hmm. And the textile show, that, that's starting in uh, November, but you have, I think you have two other uh, shows, is that right? I think you, have, you guys have three new, very we, uh, insightful ex exhibitions that are like just globe-spanning. Yep. Um, so um, next year, March the 9th, um, we're going to be opening Amazonia, the rights mm -hmm. of nature and this is a fourth uh, exhibition uh, we've done which um, is looking at the relationship between culture and nature and the environment mm -hmm. um, so last year we did Cessnam which was about Musqueam and Musqueam's um, ideas around um, the environment and the significance of the land um, and also um, the problems around um, safeguarding their arche Musqueam archaeological sites. Mm -hmm. um, we currently have an exhibition on the Seapik River. So again, we've been, um, this is a curator, Carol Mayer, who's been working um, in Papua New Guinea on the Seapik River for the f last 15 years. And she's put together an amazing collection of um, sculptures from, from that part of the world, which we're showing. But that river is endangered now by, the, by gold mining. Oh, and so the exhibition also brings up the issue of mining mm -hmm. uh, in that area. And the Amazon exhibition, and of course we have um, the Lawrence Paul Eucalyptan exhibition, which is still on. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, again, you know, looking at Lawrence Paul's paintings on, um, the, um, on British Columbia, on the environment and... Um, the dispossession of land, um, the pollution, contamination of sites. Um, that's, been a, that's been a great, um, that's been a really popular show. So we're following those on next year with Amazonia. Mm -hmm. And um, this is an exhibition, really, that's going to look at Amerindian people's ideas about nature having rights. So we're accustomed to human rights, but um, there the idea is that nature also has rights, that um, people live in communities to be, ha to be um, safe, to be happy, to be secure, um, but communities themselves depend on nature, and therefore this kind of interconnectability um, suggests that um, nature has rights. Well, this has been taken really seriously in some Latin American countries, mm -hmm. like Ecuador um, and um, Bolivia where this idea of the rights of nature 
has been incorporated into the constitutions. So we're going to be doing an exhibition on on that next year. Um, and we hope what it will do is kind of really encourage people to compare uh, ideas of about land in Amazonia with ideas, indigenous ideas about land um, here in British Columbia. So that's going to be um, uh, a really, uh, I think that's going to be a really great show. Yeah, no, it, it's going to be very interesting, especially with people being very environmentally conscious here in British Columbia, to also compare how their idea of consciousness of the environment compares to that of um, people in, as you, I, I think you said, Amazon, India? I'm so sorry. Um, Amazonia. Amazonia. The, 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 along the Amazon River in Brazil right, uh, and Colombia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And afterwards, I think you guys are then kind of moving towards to Asia with yeah. another exhibit. Yeah, and then we're going to do something completely different. Completely so this different. Is, yeah, this is a, an exhibition on calligraphy. Mm-hmm. It's called Traces of Words, Art and Calligraphy from Asia. And that's going to be opening on May the 11th uh, next year. And this is a kind of major exhibition um, that is um, going to bring together... Um, different traditions of calligraphy and also modern calligraphy. So a lot of us are accustomed to, you know, we, we, we can recognize um, works where you've got ink on paper. Um, but what we're also, what this exhibition is um, uh, going to look at is also kind of um, um, everything from Sumerian cuneiform inscriptions. Oh, wow. Um, to Quranic uh, manuscripts, um, Southeast Asian palm leaf manuscripts, um, and also um, graffiti um, from Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So this is a graffiti art artist, um, an Afghani graffiti artist who who has been doing her work. Um, uh, she's been she's been doing this graffiti on the ruins of parts of Afghanistan that have been repeatedly bombed, mm-hmm. and she's going to do some works, especially for for the gallery um and we're also we've got a an electronic work which is coming from uh, an artist collective called team lab uh, which is japanese and basically it's going to be a whole interactive wall um where you your shadow will activate um different calligraphic characters and all the images and the ideas um uh encapsulated in those uh, characters will suddenly blossom forth on the screen. Oh wow! That that really kind of puts in the idea of like living art almost. Yeah, no, the idea is that it is living art because mm-hmm. uh, um, I mean calligraphy used to be um, relatively common in 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 Europe as well until the Middle Ages, but it's basically died out in Europe apart from the edges of Europe, you no know, um, places like Georgia and Armenia, but it's mm-hmm. still very 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 important and core to many Asian societies. And some people have said, in fact, it's what defines Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we felt that um, that we wanted to do this exhibition really to um, explore calligraphy and look at um, how calligraphy works, no? Because you're talking about images, words and images that are almost fused together mm-hmm. and how that allows us to think perhaps more poetically than societies like our own where we have a phonetic alphabet mm-hmm. um which is more constraining and you guys have these like really huge ma- major exhibits i actually did um get to see the one on uh, lawrence's artwork that you mentioned as yeah. well as attend a few um, other exhibits uh, last uh, year and not only do you guys have these like really wide-spanning exhibits you're also presenting two artistic festivals is that right yeah um and there'll be more, but uh, the two that we've organized so far um, are for the second year running, we're going to be having a Taiwanese puppetry festival. I mean, it was so popular last mm-hmm. year. Um, we had, uh, I think we had about a thousand people come to it um, over a weekend um, that we're going to be doing that again um, November uh, mm-hmm. of this year, November the 3rd to the 8th. So there'll be the second Taiwanese puppetry festival. And um, we're bringing two puppetry companies from Taiwan, um, really well-known puppetry co- mm-hmm. um, companies in, in Taiwan itself. One called the Puppet and its Double Theater, and the other one, the Happy Puppetry Company. Um, and then we're going to, um, following year 2017, February the 28th, um, 
Um, onwards, we, we've got the um, Co Coastal First Nation Dance Festival again. Mm. Um, so this has now become an annual event. This is the 10th year that we've run it. And it's hugely popular. And um, currently we're looking at um, what we didn't mention earlier, we're currently working on, is to have special events around Christmas as well. Oh, wow. Um, and, um, and we're still working on those. So um, mm -hmm. we'll, 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 we'll advertise those as, 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 as they start to um, become more real. Mm -hmm. And uh, Professor uh, Shelton, just one question. You are also an anthropologist. You're, you're also an administrator and curator. You curated... A, Two, I, I think you created one. I think you created two for the uh, the um, MOA. There was the luminescence, the silver of Peru, and heaven, hell, and somewhere in between for the MOA. And one question is, since you are a curator, you are an anthropologist, you are also a professor, a teacher. How does all that? How does all your life experiences kind of culminate in being the director of the MOA? Oh, it's sometimes really difficult to get a balance between all of those. But mm -hmm. I think they're all really important because, um, you know, I do some teaching and I think it's great when students ask you questions that you don't anticipate and make you forever reconsider and think <laughs> anew what your <laughs> ideas are. So it keeps your mind alive now. And I think it's really important for directors to curate because um, it's not enough just to be an administrator or to be... Um, uh, cultural diplomat you mm -hmm. really continue to need to um, curate exhibitions and again if you're teaching you can bring some of those ideas and um, you know that kind of questioning that kind of spirit of curiosity to putting together new and different kinds of exhibitions mm -hmm. um, so it can all kind of work together the only problem is to get it all working together usually takes more than a seven-day working week. Oh, no, I bet, I bet. And so <laughs> I'm still trying to solve that. And one of my questions is, I guess, like, and it might be a really general question, but I really want to know, what really got you into anthropology? Mm. Well, the kind of anthropology I'm interested in is mm -hmm. I'm interested in people's in, in ideas, mm -hmm. and I'm interested in how different cultures and societies um, imagine different things, such as I mean, my I did research on time, mm -hmm. and you know how what is time? How do different societies and different cultures across the world, and historically, how have they conceptualised what time is? And so, by looking at those different conceptualizations, you can say something general about time, or at least you can question your own presuppositions of what time is. So that's my interest. I think that anthropology can be kind of like a critique of our own society because mm -hmm. we we exist in our society we accept a lot of um we accept a lot of uh what we're told and we never question that but by looking at how other societies organize their lives how they conceptualize um things around them um we can start using that as a way to question the way we've been brought up to understand the world mm -hmm. and that i think makes us really that in, enhances um, our ability to be creative. Um, and so for me, um, anthropology, that's the real attraction of anthropology. And the attraction of museums is that we can use those insights in museums mm -hmm. and share them with much wider publics and create a more critical um, uh, society, uh, which really kind of in which different cultures are engaged one with another in terms of understanding mm -hmm. our everyday existence and making it richer as a result. Mm -hmm. Kind of like, even though you, you can't really see them in person, still being able to understand a different part of the world, even if a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's always, um, you know, you never can quite fully understand, mm -hmm. but at least you can start, you can begin dialogues now. You can start to destabilize your own concepts and your own ideas. My area is Mexico, and mm -hmm. so my, my specialism is actually pre-Columbian Mexico, so um, civilizations that, um, that really kind of um, disappeared 500 years ago, mm -hmm. um, but still there are large groups of indigenous people um, that survive, that speak um, similar languages or versions of the same language, mm -hmm. and that continue to conserve some of the ideas that were current um, five or six hundred years ago. So, you know, you're twice removed in many ways because um, you're removed historically and you're also removed culturally. But still, I think it's valuable to 
to engage and to create those dialogues. Mm -hmm. And I can definitely see your care for that reflected in these upcoming uh, exhibitions as well as the care of the other uh, curators as well. And I just want to say thank you so much for uh, taking your time to talk with us on the Arts Report. Uh, definitely for anyone who is interested in going to the Museum of Anthropology, it is very local. It is in your local neighborhood, UBC. You should be going to the MOA. And from what I remember, um, there was a very special uh, presentation uh, last week on Wednesday. The MOA has been getting a lot more people lately. That's right. We've been getting about 20% more. The great thing is it's one of the world's great museums and it's free for students, faculty and staff of UBC. That's right. So you have definitely the chance to check it out. These, uh, these exhibitions, again, um, the first one will start November the 17th. Uh, it goes until April the 9th. The next one, March 9th to January 28th of 2018. And uh, the following that is May 11th to October 9th of 2017. So uh, definitely a lot of... Uh, stuff for, wait, October, it says 2017. It shouldn't say 2018 on my press release. Anyways, there's a lot of chance for people to go see these events, and definitely it is local. It is a wholly different uh, culture to what we experience here at UBC, and it's a great chance for people to kind of uh, broaden their horizons and enlighten themselves. So uh, uh, thank you very much for being on the air. Uh, Dr. Uh, Shelton. So what we're going to do is we're going to go into a few um, PSAs and uh, we will get back to you with more uh, content at the Arts Report. Thank you so much. And thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Bye. Right, bye. What a lovely fall afternoon. The perfect day to go to a record convention. What? I said the perfect day to go to a record convention. What? Record convention! Record convention? Record convention! When? Saturday, October the 1st! Where? <coughs> the Croatian Cultural Center! What time? Record convention! I said, what time? 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. How much? Three bucks! Well, I'll see you there! Ditto. Would you like to get updates on your smartphone in an emergency, even if a cell tower is down? It is possible if the FM chip is activated in your phone. Visit freeradioonmyphone.ca to see how you can get involved by contacting your carrier and signing our petition. And welcome back to the Arts Report. I am your host, Ashley Park. Today is September the uh, 28th. There's a lot of stuff happening. Some stuff already happened, but you can still catch up to it. And you might be wondering, what are some of the things that happened? Well... If you don't know, Pacific Theater has a show called A Good Way Out, written by Kara Norrish. It premiered on September the 23rd. It's going until October the 15th. If you are interested in seeing it, I do recommend it. It is local theater, Pacific Theater. And uh, another thing is, it's a new play. So you might be wondering, a new play? I don't know, Ashley. I kind of I like the plays that you know, people have already you know, seen and talked about. And you know, I think that's kind of my thing. I don't really know about a, a new play. And I understand your trepidation. Even me, I'm like, oh, new play. I hope it's good. I hope I'm blah. But um, I would actually recommend, if you are really curious about this story, to kind of take a look at what, um, what really family can mean to uh, somebody and what you do for family. So the story, A Good Way Out, is about a local mechanic... Um, named um, Joey, and he is fixing bikes. So all he does is fix bikes, and he is an ex-convict, but he has decided to change his life. He won't do that anymore. He's got, you know, uh, he's got children now. He has a girlfriend. They're not technically married, but he's st she's still his wife, okay? And he is doing what he can to make sure his kids are all right, that they have a place to, you know, sleep, food to eat. So he's always struggling and working hard to make sure that he can provide for his family. The problem is, the problem is, is that um, for, some, for some reason, when uh, he returns home, he finds out there's an eviction notice on his door. So why? What happened? Why did this eviction notice come up? And to his wife, uh, she kind of, he also finds out that uh, someone has a, uh, called child uh, services and said that they are unfit parents. 
So in this is definitely a uh, family drama. And the most um, important thing about this kind of drama is the idea of what family is. Because Joey, he has really no... Um, he, he has his loyalties to family, but the idea of family is different because he has a father figure in his life who happens to be the leader of a gang. And this guy took him in, and this guy gave Joey and his girlfriend a place to live. And the landlord happens to be this guy's mom. But now they get an eviction notice from him. So what's the deal with that? He's also not paying Joey money, but at the same time, he promises that it's going to come through. So there's a lot of tensions happening there when a, uh, a plucky kind of like, I'm going to say, I don't want to say white trash, but he really is white trash kind of character named uh, Sean tells Joey, hey, you know what we can do? We can skim off a little of the boss's money uh, from drugs, selling drugs, and um, he won't know. He doesn't check it. We can make sure you don't get evicted. This is the best way to make money. And so... Joey kind of has a little bit of a, uh, a bit of a conflict with his, you know, quote-unquote dad, because while, you know, they are family, they're brothers, they're, they got that bond, it also feels like this man is holding Joey back from, you know, from leaving, using, you know, the eviction notice, using his kind of like, using kind of like manipulation to keep him forever as, you know, someone who works under him. And... The child services plot also coalesces with, um, with kind of like Joey trying to figure out who was the one who kind of called child uh, services out, kind of like kind of called them in and, and said like you know this is happening to you know their family you should check them out, and it also kind of leads to a conflict to his sister, uh, Lynette, in which they fig- they try to figure out you know if she called it or not because she is very. She's very well off. She has all her connections done. She's married to a, prov- a husband that provides for her, even though they have a rocky relationship. And Joey can't know who to trust. So who or what is family? Are family, you know, people who kind of um, share the same blood as you? Are it people that you have a strong bond with? Should you do everything that you can for family? Should you forgive family if they do something horrible if they've wronged you should you not forgive them even if they are family it's these questions that arise in a good way out and it's these questions that ultimately determine joey's fate um so one thing about the show that i particularly liked is the style of theater that pacific theater has it is kind of like a black box so you go in and um you don't have a set stage and you don't you know it's not facing the stage all the time the stage is actually kind of set, like nestled almost in between uh, two different um, uh, audience seats and whatnot. So the stage is in between the audience, so you can see the other audience members as you're watching it. And even though the space is quite cramped on stage, the use of lighting was well done. And the director Anthony F. Ingram has did a they did a, he did a really good job in um, using the limited space that he had and directing the actions that it moved very seamlessly. I have a uh, interview that our uh, other arts report host, as you might know her, her name is Christine, and she actually got to talk with uh, a few of the creative team behind A Good Way Out. So let's listen in here. Yeah, um, <laughs> how are you feeling tonight? I'm a little emotional <laughs> right now. Uh, it's so exciting to see to see it and I just went backstage and cried and hugged the cast and thanked them for doing the show so yeah I'm a little emotional right now it's, it's uh it was great to see yeah I mean the subject matter of this production is pretty heavy it was yeah. I was wondering where where did you find the inspiration for this piece um uh, to be perfect I've been shady about this but uh I had someone in my family who was in a gang member or who was a gang member and um, they died when I was a little kid and so a lot of their life and everything was kept hidden from me but I remember the good parts about them so I kind of wanted to explore the dark side that was that was really I didn't know anything about so a lot of talking to my family and stuff like that and I think I think what I found was really exciting and and I love it so uh 
yeah, they became a complete person in my mind. What are you hoping are some of the takeaways for the audience? I really want people to leave the theater knowing, not knowing, but maybe appreciating the next time they see a person who's wearing a leather jacket, wearing a gang emblem, or when they watch the news and they hear a shooting, like, instead of just writing these people off as criminals, losers, whatever you want to call them, that they're people. They're real human beings, and they're dealing with some really dark stuff and some, some really big demons that they have to deal with on a daily basis, and, and not to judge them and just throw them away. Do you know the dates and the, and the ways that people get just the information for this production for our listeners who are interested yeah. in coming out? Yeah, it runs October, or, sorry, September 23rd to October 15th. We run Wednesday to Saturday at 8 p.m. with matinees at 2 p.m. on Saturdays. I'm Anthony F. Ingram, and I directed A Good Way Out. How are you feeling tonight? I'm feeling really relaxed. <laughs> um, it was a great process, and I felt, even before our preview, that uh, we had a show that was for people to see. And uh, so, yeah, I felt good. And the, the, what I love about uh, the directing job is once it's over, I get to sit in the audience and feel the audience responding to it. And I thought we got what we wanted, so that's good. Yeah? yeah. Um, what did you see in the audience reaction tonight? Uh, a bit of recoiling from some of the stuff, which was good, I think. Um, and, and we got the laughs where we wanted them. And, uh, and yeah, it's, you know, people just sort of sitting up in their seats as things got uncomfortable. That was good. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The subject matter is gang violence. And was it hard directing th those kind of sensitive subjects? Yeah, it's kind of hard when you have females in position in a position where they're being sexualized um, and it's not a pretty moment at all and you know you have to talk your way through it about okay if you can touch yourself there and if you can let him do this and um, you know there's always a bit of awkwardness about it but um, the great thing about uh, Evelyn Chu who plays uh, Carla um, is that she's uh, adventurous but um, but also really um, open in, in, a, in a really great way and um, that's one of the reasons why I, I wanted her in the show is because I know that she's willing to take risks um, right. serve, to serve the, the purpose of the, of the piece and, uh, and she's a really, really brave actor that um, not, a people, not a lot of people know about and I, and I hope she gets more work from this. So. I loved how the, a lot of the cast there wasn't just just white people, <laughs> like it was people of color, yes. which was amazing yeah. and what I really um, definitely appreciated. Right. So what do you hope that the audience members will take away tonight from the performance? Well, I really hope they see uh, a part of life that goes around them that they probably don't get to see very often, where they, they hear about in the news and it, mm -hmm. they're just sort of names and pictures there and hopefully they get a sense of what that life is like and have a bit of empathy for those people um, and maybe see what's going on in their own family and um, and you know try and have a little compassion for those people who are going through tough times and maybe you know help them along to where they need to go and that was Christine's interview with Karen Norrish the playwright as well as um, director Anthony F Ingram again Pacific theater a good way out if you are interested in a um, in a family drama that does talk about uh, gang violence and as well as like you know gang membership and the idea of family you can still see it it is at the pacific theater it is until october the 15th and now to close off with just a quick quick announcement if you don't know vancouver international film festival it is happening it's happening tomorrow it's happening on the 29th and it's until october the 14th so as you might know vancouver international film festival is a huge huge festival that uh, encompasses a lot of different films from all around the world um, to for you know the viewing pleasure of Vancouver audiences. Should you want to uh, go and uh, see it, we do recommend it. It is the 35th annual festival, and it is going to be um, very exciting. They have a lot of local Canadian films, local even uh, British Columbia and Vancouver films, as well as films from Africa, from Asia, from Europe, from America. You have a lot of stuff to see this October, is what I'm trying to tell you. So again, thank you so much for listening to the Arts Report. I am your host, Ashley Park. This is my solo show, and I hope it wasn't too bad. I don't think so. I had a lot of great guests, so it's not too bad. And uh, thank you so much for listening in. You are listening to CATR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Mexican territory in Vancouver. We are the Arts Report. You can catch us every Wednesday at 
5 p.m. And now I bid you all adieu. Thank you. How do you listen to CITR? Do you stream it with your data? You could be getting it free on your phone with the already installed FM receiver chip, but major carriers have blocked access to it. If you want access to all your favorite CITR goodness on your phone, get involved. Visit freeradiomyphone.ca to see how you can get involved by contacting your carrier and signing our petition.